Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today we're talking about the low-cost clothing Americans enjoy so much. The cost may be higher than many of us think in what's called fast fashion. There is a price to pay that's unseen. It's in social justice issues and in environmental concerns. It's all pointed out in a Washington University study titled The Global Environmental Injustice of Fast Fashion. Joining me in studio to discuss it are Mary Rupert Stroescu with the Sam Fox School of Design and Visual Arts at Washington University. Jenny Murphy is the founder and executive director of Perennial, a nonprofit that teaches people creative skills to reuse materials. Ladies, thanks for being with us. Nice to have you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Mary, let me begin with you. Um, what is the difference between fast fashion and high fashion? Well, uh, actually, we have a term that we call slow fashion, mm. kind of uh, similar to the fast food and slow food mm -hmm. uh, trend. And uh, fast fashion is uh, intended to be produced quickly and consumed quickly. So companies that produce in the fast fashion world um, generally bring out a collection from idea to uh, the store of Zara, for example, a retailer, in six weeks. Whereas in the haute couture, in the high fashion, they can take up to four to um, five months in fin fin conceiving, I having the ideation, experimenting with materials and craft and and form and fit and all that kind of lovely things, and um, then finally show their collection. So it could take four to five months. And of course, all of this is reflected in the price that we as consumers pay. Yes, it is. What's wrong with fast fashion, do you think? Well, some of the things that are wrong with fast fashion is the consumer mindset that you buy it and then you just throw it away because you need to get the next one, you know, in the next six weeks. Um, it's a it's a take now, consume now, throw away uh, mindset that has created an enormous amount of um, waste, textile waste in our landfills. About five percent of the landfills are contained uh, contain textile waste. Mm -hmm. Another thing that um, makes us uh, a little less aware in the fast fashion world is that um, marketing and and publicity is like driven to the maximum. So you kind of don't really think too much about what you're wearing, why you're wearing it, what you're going to do with it when you're finished liking it, how you would combine it with other things in your wardrobe. It's just kind of like a mindless thing of I'm going to get it, I'm going to wear it because they're telling me to. Mm. Jenny, where does Perennial come into this uh, equation? Yeah. Um, so we are a nonprofit that teaches creative reuse, but um, we have uh, event series that are community clothing swaps. So we try to encourage people to bring items that they no longer want, um, bring them to this event, and then take items that are new to them and sort of have this way to um, close that loop and have a, a out like a, an end point for their clothes. The other thing that we're just rooted in our mission is this idea that if people understand how to make things, how things are made, that they'll place higher value on them and have a better understanding of when they purchase a shirt, what actually goes into making that and understanding that if they're paying a low price for it, it means that there's a lot of other costs that are going on that they're not paying for, whether that's environmental or social. Um, so through our programs that we teach, whether it's like sewing basics or making a zippered pouch um, that are textile-based, it helps kind of drive home that idea and make people a little bit more conscious of the way that they're consuming. Well, let's go back. Mary, let's go back to the to the starting point, and this, that being where the uh, these clothes are made in the first place. Mm -hmm. What basically are the countries? I mentioned China and Bangladesh. Uh, what, what other countries are involved in making these products? 
Well, you know, if you go into any of the what we call kind of fast fashion stores, or if you look in your wardrobe, you can look at the label. You'll see a lot in China, but actually China has gotten to be a little more expensive than uh, the lowest rank on the on the ladder. And so, yes, Bangladesh, Indonesia, India, um, and we're actually starting to see a lot more production happening in Africa. And what are the problems at the production sites with regard to just uh, just getting these garments uh, put together? Well, there are, as um, we had said, that the environmental costs. Um, some fibers, for example, there's this fiber called triacetate that is takes a really poisonous type of a process to make the fiber, and it's not allowed to be manufactured in the United States. But some of those countries don't have such rigorous rules, so there are. Um, methods being used that are less good for the individuals um, that are living around in the environment. Another issue is that um, a lot of those countries don't have the r laws that have evolved in our country. I mean, we were this way in at the beginning of the 20th century where we didn't have child labor laws, we didn't have worker protection laws, and, um, you know, the Western countries have evolved and a lot of other countries have, but in other countries there are places where children are actually in the factories doing the work. Jenny, I get the impression that this is a concern of yours as well, uh, just knowing that this sort of thing exists. But we can't really do anything about that, can we? So I think that one of the way we look at these really huge environmental problems is to bring them down to a scale where people feel like they can really take action um, and taking them on personally um, and letting that sort of ripple effect happen where the more and more people that become aware are able to, whether it's make something themselves, repair something they have, and spread the word about um, the way our sort of consumer culture has tricked us into being really poor stewards of the environment and of um, communities around the world, um, that I think that sort of is that small impact that can grow into a larger impact. And when we start to make those individual decisions, companies listen because they want to make money. Mm -hmm. And if people stop buying and are, are also getting bad publicity about these things, a lot of um, large fashion companies have started taking measures um, to whether it's like recycle the clothing that they are selling um, or provide repair services and try to close that loop, um, even buying back and reselling their brands of clothing within their own company um, as a way to uh, address these issues and also try to retain their customers. One of the basic concerns, as Mary has indicated, is uh, th this material, no pun intended, <laughs> uh, winding up in landfills. Yeah. But uh, what, what is the problem there? I mean, it's, gonna, it's going to uh, biodegrade at some point, isn't it? Oh, well... Not really. <laughs> not well, all of them. I was like, I think hands. I think we know there's a landfill nearby that's not biodegrading, but it's burning. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of issues with just the uh, the mass amount, like the quantity that we're producing and the rate we're producing it. There's nowhere left to put it, and when that piles up into such a mass, um, it's not really biodegrading, but it's also producing more pollution. So it's actually releasing um, uh, gases into the air that are going to um, deplete our ozone. Right. And there are certain things, um, if we look at natural fibers, such as cotton, wool, linen, silk, they come from nature and they will biodegrade unless along the way they've been treated in such a way that they, you know, have chemicals on them that don't biodegrade. The most um, 
unfriendly uh, to the environment fibers are those that are man-made, that are primarily come from petrochemicals, the uh, manufactured polyester, acetate, nylon. Although nylon, there's been a lot of um, research done, and we are able now to completely recycle uh, nylon. It stays in what they call a closed loop. So once the nylon turns into, say, a carpet, they can melt that carpet down and then remake new carpets out of it without um, having it enter into the environment. I can't find it, the term in my notes, but there's a, a kind of cotton that I've seen referred to that apparently it uses an, an enormous amount of water to mm-hmm. do whatever you do with it mm-hmm. uh, to make it into into clothing. Do you, Mary, do you know what I'm talking about? Then? Well, I don't know the specific term yeah. you're looking at, but if you just think... And, Water-intensive and cotton. Oh, I see. Water-intensive. Yeah. Well, if you think, you know, sometimes you can go into a store and see a T-shirt that costs less than a sandwich. And if you think that cotton has to be grown, cultivated, it has to be harvested, it has to go in bales to a factory where they're going to turn the fibers into yarns and then woven or knit and then colored and and cut into clothes. All of the people along that whole chain, it's just mind-boggling how that t-shirt could be like $8 and, and still make it worthwhile. Do you have any sense of what the people making these products are making in terms of, you know, relative to, to what... Uh, what workers get paid in this country? Well, I think it's not really um, helpful to talk in dollar amounts mm-hmm. uh, rather than living wage amounts mm-hmm. because, you know, we all know we sure. can live much uh, cheaper even, uh, you know, in St. Louis than we can in New York. So um, I, I think that uh, the goal for most major corporations, what they say, is that their uh, employees are able to earn a living wage. But there are subcontractors of these companies that, that go around that. And um, there are people working in this industry that do make under the living wage. But I do want to make a, a, a statement that all fast fashion is not, or everything about fast fashion is not bad. Um, some fast fashion garments are made to last a long time. I personally have a skirt that I bought for like $5 in a, in a store 15 years ago, and I wear it all the time. So, um, and, and the in these countries, maybe the people are making a lower wage, but they may not have not had any opportunity to make any money. And so it gives them a little hope. Now, that said, I think, the as, as um, you had said, the um, issue is the consumer. The thing that we need to start to do, and perennial is a great example, is educating people about clothing quality. We started our conversation talking about the difference between couture and slow fashion and fast fashion. And the idea is to take the time to understand where mm-hmm. your clothes come from, the quality and time that it puts into them, and kind of plan to keep them around for a while, you know? Yeah. But, but Jenny, n- knowing people the way I do, and you do too probably, uh, if you can save a buck, you're going to save a buck. It's going to be very, very difficult to change that buying habit, don't you think? Yeah, so I often talk about the idea that when someone comes into our programs, you know, they might say they're taking a class on making a, we have a class I teach making a boxy tee, so a really simple t-shirt. And they come in thinking, I'm going to make my clothes and this is going to be this great, like, new, you know, leaf turn for me. Um, But it turns out it's a lot harder than they thought it was going to be. And by the end of the class, they're like, okay, I'm not going to make my own clothes. Mm -hmm. But I think what, what's happened in that process is that they've, again, just gotten this sense of what actually goes into making a garment and that there's a lot of other ways um, to 
be that conscious consumer, even if it's not going all the way, like, I'm never going to buy anything new again. I'm going to make it all from reclaimed, you know, materials. But it's that maybe I go to the thrift store and purchase my clothing and I have some basic skills so I can make some simple alterations that aren't going to take a lot of time. So these things fit me well. They're unique and they're cheap. um, And I'm I'm keeping them out of the landfill. The same with our clothing swaps. Um, If you come to that, you can get new items. It's, you know, $10 to get in. You can take as much as you want. Um, But being able to not only get clothes at that swap and then say you wear them a couple times, but you're done with them, you take them back to the swap, someone else picks it up, and keeping that within our own community, that kind of circular um, system where the clothing isn't being bought new, it's not ending up in the landfill, um, and we're making the most of it. I want to pick up on the thrift shop aspect of what you just said in a moment, but we have to take a break. I'd also like to get uh, listeners into this conversation. What do you think about what we're talking about, fast fashion? Uh, Are you a consumer of uh, products like these? We'd like to hear from you and what you think about it. 382-8255 is our number. That's 382-TALK. You can send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org or send us a tweet at STL on air. Back to continue the conversation in a moment. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7. KWMU. We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air brought to you by Lindenwood University's Hammond Institute for Free Enterprise, examining market approaches to help solve economic and social issues. Hammond.institute. And welcome back. We'll be continuing our conversation with Mary Rupert's Rescue with the Sam Fox School of Design and Visual Arts at Washington University and Jenny Murphy, the founder and executive director of Perennial. And we hope to hear from you with regard to your thoughts on the subject matter that we're talking about. Jenny, I'll come back to you on this idea of thrift shops and secondhand shops. My impression is is that uh, most of them wind up sending a lot of the clothing overseas. Yeah. What's, What's wrong with that? So there is, you know, we're talking earlier kind of about the quantity of stuff and the even the amount that ends up in landfills. I think a, a great um, visual for this is at, at our last clothing swap in January or at the beginning of February, we had 160 people come and we have everyone weigh the amount of clothes that they take with them. Um, and 1,500 pounds of clothing went out the door. Um, so if you start to see these sort of like, you know, actual weight and like size, the amount of stuff that's at these events. And the same thing for a thrift store. That's a two-hour event um, one day. And if you think about the amount of clothes that move through a thrift store um, or any kind of secondhand place. But, yeah, there is just the mass quantity. A lot of it gets shipped um, overseas. Um, and some of it also, there. you know, we're finding ways to recycle it, whether it's breaking down jeans into insulation or um, there's a textile recycler remains that's here in St. Louis. Um, and they have a lot of different kind of arms that where they're breaking down things for archery targets or rags or, you know, finding just anything that we can do with this besides send it to a landfill. But it's hard because there is the mass quantity is just... Uh, I want to be sure I understand. Are you saying that what we send overseas goes into landfills there? Or are the, are, is the clothing worn by... Mary no, probably has people. more statistics about this, but yeah. it's a, I think it's a combination of the way it's used. But a lot of it gets worn. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and yes, you do find stories of, you know, a, a student uh, on uh, study abroad in Uganda and walks down the street and sees someone local wearing a T-shirt from uh, WashU or something. Mm-hmm. But um, And so in some ways that's good. But in other ways, like Western bodies <laughs> are not the same as bodies, say, from Mozambique or, um, you know, Rwanda. 
and uh, so the clothes aren't always um, accept, able to be worn. And another thing is a cult- the cultural aspect of it. I know a friend of mine w- was a um, Peace Corps uh, a volunteer in um, Mali, and she said that they call their word for old clothes was dead man's clothes, Aye. and they would never <laughs> culturally want to wear someone else's clothes because of all of the connotations that that might mm. give in their mind because of their cultural uh, impact. And then in countries, in some countries, I believe Rwanda has outlawed the importation of secondhand clothes because it is actually killing the local industry. It's cheaper to buy, you know, uh, cheap secondhand clothes than to invest in something that is um, going to help the local industry prosper and create jobs. It's almost counterintuitive. You would think that in in cultures where primarily poor cultures or poor communities, that they would welcome anything that they could get uh, like that, just as as we can argue that uh, this may not, uh, the way these clothes are made may not be right and may have uh, issues with environmental and otherwise, but at least the people there are making a paycheck Mm -hmm. and have some money coming in. It's a very complex situation. It truly is. We have uh, some people who want to get into our conversation, and uh, let's bring them in. We'll start with uh, Lucy calling from St. Louis. Lucy, thanks for being with us. Go ahead. Hi. Thanks for uh, letting me uh, talk to you about this. I had a really interesting challenge. It was uh, four years ago. It was a New Year's resolution that I wasn't going to buy any new clothes. And I was never much of a clothes horse anyway, but I I just thought I'm going to give myself this as a a challenge. And I've been doing it ever since. The only thing that I buy new would would be uh, essential things like underwear and socks. But beyond that, I I stick to thrift or uh, goodwill or consignment and have had had a wonderful time with the challenge. Well, Lucy, thanks for the call. That's that's it. Go ahead, Mary. Well, Lucy, that is phenomenal. I um, actually did a research study on this topic. We asked our ch- students to go for 10 weeks to do a fashion detox, we called it. <laughs> and they blogged about the experience. And um, they... Uh, I analyzed the data from the point of view of how that inspired their creativity. Did this process inspire you to be more creative? did. And, and, you know, it wasn't why I started it. I did it mainly because I wanted to be more environmentally conscious, to be more recycled. I I saw it as recycling. And um, it was another way to incorporate recycling. Uh, But I think it, it is much more of a creative uh, endeavor than I would have thought initially. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's saying going shopping when you know you need something is a very different experience because you kind of have to think about it in advance. So if you want to, you know, address for a certain occasion, you can't just go out and and look for it the day before. You really have to kind of search and and realize, oh yeah, that would be perfect for this. Uh, It's just a, it's a different way of, of, of looking at how you shop. I would say, too, I think that's something um, that we really seek pe- you know, for people to understand when they come take classes at Perennial or learn something new with us. Because um, when you're not, like you said before, Mary, like the way that our even the marketing around fast fashion is 
very aggressive and, and it makes it seem so easy just to go out and buy something new and you don't really think about that process at all. Mm-hmm. And when you take a step back and it and you add this extra kind of challenge to your shopping, um, it is way more fun. Um, you get to find super unique pieces and it also just gives you that um, – like the caller was saying, just a second to really have to plan. And that can really change the way you think about almost everything you do in your life and being more conscious about all of those, you know, we need daily more, things. We need more minimal minimalists. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And personal expression. I <laughs> yeah. mean, you can yeah. really be yourself and yeah. understand what with, message you want to send with your clothes which personally. I think is what fashion companies try to sell you is that sense of personal expression. Like, look how unique you'll be in our clothes. And you know, they're making millions and millions of this shirt. Um, but when you go to a thrift store, the chances that you're going to find the same thing that someone else finds um, are so slim. And like I said, even the ability to, when you have some basic skills to alter, whether it's like changing the buttons out or, um, you know, trimming it just to fit you right, like there's um, a, a much lower stake too when you're buying a pair of jeans for a dollar instead of $75, um, you know, messing with them and making them just how you want them. While we're on this part of the subject, uh, Karen in University City has written, I buy new clothing maybe once a year. Otherwise, it's all thrift. Resale and thrift again. You can find wonderful items in your local thrift store if you're willing to hunt a little. And here's the key. Often you find items you uh, might not have been able to afford Mm -hmm. at the original store and at the original price. Yes. Okay. A number of calls. Let's get to as many of them as we can. And we'll take a call from Maggie calling from St. Robert, Missouri. Go ahead, Maggie. Hi, I was just so overjoyed to hear this topic being brought to uh, the greater audience. Um, I believe that we are witnessing the shifting of the paradigm where people are really talking more frequently about ending the waste stream and becoming more conscientious about stuff like that. Um, my family, uh, I was excited when I heard you talking about this on the radio because I just happened to be at our household fabric sorting station, which is where we figure out what's headed to thrift and what could be hand-me-downs and trying to be really conscientious about things like that. We already participate in clothing trades and have for a long time. And I was just kind of wondering, I I look at the decay of fabric and trying to figure out how to stop that waste stream with me. And I just wondered what the interviewee's recommendations would be about, um, you know, once things are at the point that I really don't see a viable use for them in their original intended purpose, I tend to try and look for other things that I can do with them, like for example, I've considered insulating a building with um, decaying clothing. And I don't know how wise that kind of thing is. And I was just wondering um, what recommendations you have for steps beyond where we are currently with ending the waste stream uh, at our own home. Jenny, do you yeah. want to take that one? Yeah, I think there's, um, you know, that's such an exciting question to me because I feel like there's infinite possibilities of what you can do with that material. Um, but it does just take that patience of, of even sitting down and maybe brainstorming what you could use them for. Insulation is a really cool idea. Um, I am not a contractor, so I'm not sure like technically how, you know, how you would work that out. But, you know, even at our shop, what we do is we save um, all of our little scraps and we use um, those for like stuffing. If we're creating like say an ottoman or um, a pillow and then some larger scraps we use for cleaning rags you know there's some really simple things where you don't actually have to do much work to get one more use or one more kind of life out of that material if it's a natural material um, and you have the ability to compost like you can put like linens and cottons the only thing is if you're not sure how it was manufactured if there's dye in it or something that might not be um, you might not want to put it in like your food garden um, I would say but 
Yeah, there's um, a process that we use at the shop called the redesign challenge where we sit down and we take an item and we write all the qualities that we can think of, maybe up to 20, and about it. So you really get deep into observing it, and then you write 20 new ways that you could use it. Um, and you'd be surprised at how that list can really flow um, from those ideas. But Mary, aren't we just putting off the inevitable? Eventually, this stuff's going to be thrown away. <laughs> could be, could be. Um, it could be. You know, this has sparked me to think about, and I just want to make the comment that, you know, uh, the caller talked about how it's great that everybody's talking about this now, and it's becoming more and more evident. But um, my Depression-era parents did a lot of this out of need, mm -hmm. rather than because it's cool, and it's the thing that we talk about, and that we want to save the planet. And I think, you know, so um, quilting is a mm -hmm. great American tradition that has is around for hundreds of years, and that's that thing. You take something you can't really use the dress, so you cut it up into little pieces, sew it together, and cover your butt, cover your bed with it, or something. So <laughs> that um, was a slip of the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I have a process uh, that I've <clears throat> developed with my students where we take things, we do cut them up into little pieces, and we make new clothes out of them um, that do cover the body um, in a zero waste uh, way of doing it. There's, um, you know, it, 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 we've been talking a lot about the post-arrival uh, uh, in the consumer's hands, but there's also a lot of work that designers are doing on the front end of, of the making clothes process to keep waste from the landfills and, and making a garment, for example, out of a piece of fabric that you don't cut. So there's nothing to throw away during the manufacturing process is, is another mm -hmm. way to do it. So there's a lot of stuff happening. It's just going to take a while. And it's, once again, all about the consumers to want that to happen. And creativity. Yeah. No yeah. question. Let's take Bob's call. He's call, calling from Middletown, Mo. Bob, go ahead. Hi, Don. Uh, really enjoy your show. It's it's always a pleasure to listen to it. We don't get to listen to it every day, but appreciate the topic today. Thank you. I, yes. Uh, I just want to say, you know, we moved in 2002, and we had so much stuff coming out of that house that I, I made two full-size van trips to the, the local thrift stop, and they actually refused the second full-size load. And, I, and so I had to take it to It made me aware how important it is that we buy not just drop stuff off, but that we buy. And one of the easiest things to buy is clothing because there's so much clothing. And then the final comment, uh, well, I, got, I do have a question. How much people spend on clothing? And I assume that changes by decade of, of years on the planet. But the other thing is I, I have traveled outside the country, and people in other parts of the world do wear American clothes. And the, the clothing that, that we donate, even though it's rags, it does get used properly. So I'm, I'm just going to sign off. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks for the call. Anybody want to respond to him? Because I've got a factoid here that I think is pretty my, interesting. My response is just like I, I always think about this in the context of stuff, that we have enough stuff. Like we could stop making new things and everyone would be fine. Um, and it is just this – people being able to comprehend the amount that's out there. Um, but that just that idea of, you know, if everyone bought things from the thrift store and we had this more circular, if we just kept passing around the clothes that already exist, like we would be good for years and years and years. Um, so I think just keeping that in mind as you continue, you know, shopping. <laughs> uh, here is my factoid. Yeah. Globally, 80 billion, that's with a B, 80 billion pieces of new clothing are purchased each year, translating to $1.2 trillion annually for the global fashion industry. This is an enormous industry. 
and therefore, Mary, I think difficult to bring under control. It is, but I think, and I think too, we need to recognize the economic importance of this industry. Um, and I, I totally get the your comment, Jenny, about maybe if we stop making clothes. But I think <laughs> the the idea would be that there would be new business models coming out like yours, Perennial, um, that is uh, able to help us enjoy clothing. Because I do think a big part of the re- what motivates us to dress, aside from, you know, modesty and uh, uh, protection and things like that, is personal expression. And it's my hope that we don't stop wanting to uh, have fun and express ourselves with our clothes just because, you know, that we want to stop uh, uh polluting the landfill. I hope we find other ways of staying, keeping fashion alive, but being less detrimental. And that's to what this is all about. That's what we're talking about today. I'm going to take one more call before our time is up for this segment. We'll bring in Susan calling from University City. Susan, go ahead. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm into uh, slow fashion, and I've been trying to get a business started to um, hire refugee women in St. Louis to make one-of-a-kind children's clothes um, using their creativity to um, so they don't end up being sex trafficked. I started buying organic um, cotton clothing over 20 years ago when I lived in Huntsville, Alabama, and um, I still have some of those pieces that I wear all the time. So. I have a lot of sustainable fabrics, cotton, Pima cotton, um, uh, organic cotton, and uh, linens and things. And um, so women need to use their creativity to make things rather than um, um, making them by rote in in a factory setting. It's very good for them to recover from post-traumatic stress disorder. And... um, be able to communicate with each other, um, and for babies to be able to wear clothes that are not full of chemicals, and um, it's so good for the environment. So slow fashion is a way to do this. Susan, I'm going to interrupt because our time is getting away. I think we have the point, and I think she is making the point that we've been trying to stress here during the course of this time. Any final thoughts before we have to say goodbye, Mary? Well, I uh, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for inviting us. And um, I just hope that uh, St. Louis becomes a leader on the map of the global environment in, uh, in saving uh, our landfills from our textiles. Yeah. Jenny? Yeah, I just um, would encourage everyone to take a look at their closets and figure out what they can repair and mend and um, come to one of our clothing swaps and see what you can find. <laughs> we'll put a link. You've got a website, I'm sure. Yep. We'll put a link to your website on ours so that people can find you uh, easily that way. I want to thank you, Mary Rupert Strowski. Thank you so much for being with us. She's with Washington University. Uh, Jenny Murphy of uh, Perennial, thank you also for being with us. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.